Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. Salle Période was the front page of Saturday's L'Equipe in France following PSG's 3-2 defeat to Monaco on Friday night. Uh, expertly translated for me by our very own Philippe Bargiel as trying times. All is not well in the capital, it seems. Uh, let's hope nobody will be describing the next hour or so in such flattering terms. We will, of course, be discussing Monaco's 3-2 triumph over Les Parisiens, the big result of the weekend. And as an aside, I'm personally excited to gush about the magic of Cesc Fabregas. We'll also take a look at a couple of other matches from this weekend in Ligue 1 uh, and have a brief look at uh, a decisive week coming in the Champions League for French clubs. I'm your host, Jake Smales. Uh, with me tonight, we have the usual cast, uh, back again after the international break, uh, including uh, translator extraordinaire Philippe Bagiel. Hey, Phil. Hey, good evening. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Good, thanks. Good to have you back on. Um, I'm also joined again by Muhammad Ali. Mo, how's it going? Good, thanks. Good to be back after the break. Yeah, shame there's no uh, no Marseille to talk about this weekend. Yeah, fortunate. <laughs> um, I can, and finally, we can also count on the expertise of Eric Devin. Hi, Eric. Hey, Jake. How are you? Very good. Very good. Pleasure to be back in all of your company. Um, so let's get right in, uh, as I'm sure we're all excited to discuss Friday night's match between Monaco and PSG at the Stade Louis II. Uh, going into the game, PSG have been struggling in Europe, but domestically we're on an eight-match winning streak going into this one, I believe, since losing Le Classique to Marseille. Uh, in September, they've scored 26 goals and conceded just one in that time. They were, of course, missing a few key players without the injured Neymar, as well as Marco Verratti and Marquinhos was rested on the bench ahead of a crucial um, week in Europe. But they could count on the return of Kylian Mbappé. They were travelling to a Monaco side who had bounced back after their 4-1 Lyon in late October with a 4-0 win over Bordeaux and a 2-1 derby victory over Nice but they too were missing some key men, notably Wissam Ben Yedda, who tested positive for COVID uh, while with France. And uh, of course, also first choice right back Ruben Aguilar and goalkeeper Benjamin Lecomte. Both sides depleted them, but it was the visitors who uh, took the game by the scruff of the neck at first, a goal and a converted penalty from Kylian Mbappé. But against all odds in the second half, Monaco overcame the two-goal deficit to win 3-2 thanks to an inspired performance from substitute Cesc Fabregas, two goals from Kevin Volland before Fabregas' cameo culminated in the winning penalty for the Spaniard. PSG's third defeat in Liga this season, uh, equaling their tally last campaign, uh, which of course was prematurely cut short by COVID. A lot of the headlines have been about PSG, but let's start with the home side, the winners, who I think deserve their plaudits. Eric, we'll start with you. How good were this Monaco side. I mean, I know they went 2-0 down in the first half, but to turn that result around and pick themselves up in the way that they did, especially for such a young team, uh, I mean, it was kind of thanks to the experience that they managed to do so, but this was a strong performance, no? Yeah, it's strong also in that I think it shows, again, adaptability on the part of Niko Kovac. I think that he... Okay, well, first of all, he's, he's someone who has looked a little bit irresolute tactically, which some might take as a worrying sign, right? I mean, he has at various points favored a 4-3-3 with Fabregas and sort of a 
uh, a deep line playmaking role. He's he's played a four four two. He's played a four two three one. He experimented with three at the back. Um, and at this, but in that recent run you mentioned, uh, you know, on the back of that hiding by Leon, they had switched to a four four two, looking good using that central axis of Chowmany and <clears throat> and Fofana in midfield and uh, playing a partnership of uh, Voland and, and Benyeter up top, getting the best out of both of them. So. Yeah, and Caio Henrique come in, Henrique had to come into the team as well. He looked um, really pretty impressive as well. So, yeah, like a lot of a lot of good things to think about. But again, those absences you mentioned now, uh, Manon coming in for um, Lecompte and goal is not going to change the formation. But you do have uh, Aguilar, who's been a very very solid right back this season, uh, getting a deserved French call up, uh, and Ben Yedder missing. So, but. You know, Kovac believed in in the structure of his system. He just did a like for like swatch, bringing in, bringing in Goebbels, and then um, the youngster um, uh, Matt. I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Matt Sima at right back. Um, and, and yeah, they, they it was the same situation, and they didn't look great. Um, PSG looked looked well up for it, uh, and the system didn't didn't really work. It looked like. They had some decent chances in the first half, but it didn't seem like um, Monaco were getting what they wanted out of the game. They, they lacked a bit of clinicality, uh, a, a finishing touch, something that we've, um, you know, Kaylor Navas had a couple saves to deny uh, Voland. So it, it sort of seemed that, you know, they were lacking that cutting edge, and that's that could be problematic. He makes a switch at halftime to a 4 2 3 1, playing Fabregas as a 10, um, and that is that allows him to. Get more out of, out of the likes of Jop and, and Martins uh, closer to goal, uh, and and Volant has a has a freer role. He's still pressing, still working hard, uh, and you've also got uh, Henrique in the game, and he's been fantastic. So, you know, again, it's a small sample size, but he's looked uh, comfortably Monaco's best left back since since coming into the team, and I think that his inclusion uh, made a big difference as well. So that that flexibility uh, tactically leads Monaco to success. But also we should we should emphasize is that um, the work ethic that the team had, had generated throughout formations, you know, throughout different players under under Kovac has really been remarkable. It's really been the engine of their success. So the fact that he can, you know, use this tactical flexibility in a way and be successful without losing any sort of the ethos or shape or 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 value of the team, if, if it's constructed in a slightly different way, uh, it's really impressive. And I, I really think that the Kovac is making uh, a good case for him for, you know, as, you know, I don't know, the best manager in the league this year. Can we say that? Maybe. I mean, I could make a case for Olivier Dalolio Del, Del, as well at Brest, uh, given, given that they seem to be hitting their stride as well. But um, certainly in, in relative terms, I think that we weren't really sure what to expect from Monaco. Uh, you know, their summer was decent. Uh, Henrique, we didn't know much about. DeSassi was a good center back. But some of the other signings seemed, I don't know, maybe a little bit less than inspiring. Um, not to be too cruel to the, likes of, to the likes of Voland. But it didn't necessarily seem that there was a clear path for this team to be um, emphatically better than they were under, under Robert Moreno. But uh, Kovac has really disproved that. And I, I think that he and um, sporting director Paul Mitchell have have been a very effective tandem, and uh, you know, I mean, there's challenging matches to come, obviously, but uh, 
to get some to get a, to get a result like this is going to do huge huge amounts for the team's confidence. Even if there are caveats over PSG's absences, injuries, uh, the fact that Diallo was sent off. Um, but you know, I'm not really a stats maven, but by XG, Monaco could have won this match by even more. Sometimes that they didn't have their chances in the first half. Um, so a lot of credit to the team for knowing that they were on the right path, for continuing to battle, and and for getting a, a deserved result. Yeah, and it's and it, you you mentioned there kind of the tactical nous that we've seen so far from from um, Nico Kovac in the league, and I, I know for a fact that um, that that was kind of something that I think was questioned a little bit during his time at Bayern that he was unable to to kind of get his players to play a certain way or kind of ended up resorting to to a style of football which really hasn't been what we've seen at Monaco so far at all. Mo, do, do you think, uh, would you agree with Eric that he's, you know, in for a shout of being the best manager so far this season? Because uh, he because he completely outclassed um, Thomas Tuchel on the night, didn't he, with those with those changes yeah. he made? I, I probably wouldn't be the best person to ask because I feel like the last time we were on, um, I think I was a bit cynical towards Monaco. Um, and Eric did point out that there were a couple of good things um, uh, about Monaco. In growing, growing in stature, growing in confidence with their previous victories over Bordeaux, Monaco, and they absolutely confirmed um, their result um, and, and, and their status with that, that incredible victory on, on Friday. Um, as for Kovac himself, I think he can recognise his his errors in terms of obviously Gobos wasn't working pretty well, the change to put in Enrico Babalo as well, and and the, the slight change in the team. Counter Paris was was inspired. You know, he like two 0 down where where Paris were looking to sort of really get done and dusted and focus on on Tuesday. Not only did he make those tactical tweaks, there was a really good article in in RMC about how he psychologically sort of geared up his team to, to counter that second half to to go man to man to 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 bring out the best of his experienced players as well. Um, those are characteristics that you will look at. You know, as we enter the winter winter uh, period, as we enter the last um, five or six games um, before before Christmas, um, where Monaco can really challenge and cement themselves as a genuine top three contender um, and a return to to the Champions League uh, potentially of twenty twenty one. It's too still too early to say. Um, they've got two tough away games to come up, but Kovac has really, um, you know, eradicated some of the clear errors that he endured obviously at Lyon, at Brest, at Rennes, you know, those those really niggly defeats that, you know, he did attract criticism for. But it's it's a good platform to build on and we'll see um over the next month whether he can be classed as the best um or sort of the best performing manager. I, I still will go with Dalolio and with with Goltier in particular uh, ahead of him. But you know he's he's a contender. Yeah, and and uh, it's, it's actually that's interesting what you mentioned about the way that he kind of psychologically chewed up his time. I hadn't seen that, and you know, I think that is the sign of a of a good coach. Not just that, you know, to be able to provide motivation. I think it would be easy to to fold when when two nil down to a team like PSG, but to be able to to you know, in, from a man management and motivation level, to to motivate your side to go out there and perform the way they did, as well as make those tactical changes and not kind of be stubborn uh, in your ways, you know, recognizing these errors that he's made so far and tweaking, tweaking his system slightly or knowing when to make the changes that that is a sign of a good coach. So 
I think it's um, I think it's definitely promising times at Monaco. You know, I, um, on the other end of the spectrum, then is 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 PSG who were who were the losers on the night. Um, Phil, since since messaging you about this pre-recording, I've been dying to get your thoughts here from a, a Paris Saint-Germain perspective. What did you make of their performance, and what went wrong in that second half? It wasn't good. It wasn't good uh, from from the start. It wasn't good in the first half, and it certainly uh, wasn't good in the second half. If I may uh, join in the debate about the uh, the Nico Kovac, best manager in the league debate, I think he's indeed in with a in with a shout uh, that he. Um, I mean, he 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 uh, he did the most of a very tricky situation without uh, Ben Yedder. We saw that Goebbels is not uh, not really uh, up for it at that. Level, I don't think. Well, maybe I haven't seen him play as much as as others, but uh, I I just don't think so. And uh, it may seem like something uh, pretty um, simple to do tactically, bringing on Fabregas, but uh, you know it worked. Uh, it worked very very well. But uh, you know uh, most most of the performances from the players, we had uh, Danilo Pereira and uh, Rafinha. Um, we don't really know for sure, but from what I gathered after the game, uh, it's not really what uh, Danilo Pera is good at being in um, in a midfield two in front of the defense. I mean, he is a defensive midfielder, but I think he's more at ease with uh, with two other two other players next to him, or or maybe he's uh, he's more at ease with uh, with a more dominating uh, dominating um, uh, uh, figure of the game. I don't know, Rafinha. It's uh, to to me. He's a he's a second striker, so it's not his role either. Uh, neither had a particularly good game, even though Daniel had some some had some good passing. Because uh, was was uh, rubbish. I mean, he was really really bad, uh, giving uh, giving away the, those those two goals. Diallo hasn't had a good game since coming um, since coming at the club. I don't think. Uh, and he 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 proved that. And basically, the only good thing happened uh, that happened. The only thing that happened in the first half um, on Friday evening was Mbappe basically destroying the back line. But uh, it it was really papering over the cracks because uh, in midfield not much was happening. Monaco were not. Uh, not doing that badly in midfield, I thought. I mean, they showed a lot of uh, a willingness of getting forward, and uh, we just waited. We just waited for something to happen. And of course, most of the time, uh, a ball goes through, Mbappe follows suit and uh, and scores a couple of goals. Um, I don't, I'm not sure I remember who made the tackle for the second goal. But anyway, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a particularly intelligent tackle. So Mbappe scored his uh, scored uh, his second and then scored a third, which would have been his 100th. And uh, was quite it's quite ironic because uh, when he when he did the uh, the goal celebration, it said 100, but then VAR ruled it out. <laughs> but this was correctly ruled out. Uh, but uh, there was a Maurice Keane um, goal that was uh, wrongfully ruled out. I mean, I don't. I don't know anyone who 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 saw who saw that offside, but again, I mean, then Monaco came back and uh, and and played well. I mean, played well. I mean, I'm I, I don't think I'm the only one, but I almost turned off turned off the uh, switch games at half time, saying, "Okay, this is over," because two 0 up and we just had two goals disallowed for offside. One was a good call, one was a one call, and Monaco did just didn't look at the races and look what happened in the second half. I mean, yes, we we defended extremely badly, but uh, Monaco uh, showed uh, showed what they were made of, and they just didn't. Uh, yeah, they didn't. Um, 
they didn't give up. So kudos, kudos to Kovac. Last verse. I mean, it was it was just a bad day all over, and uh, people thought we'd people thought we uh, had a, a good first half. It's just you know. It's just not true. I mean, uh, the scoreline doesn't reflect uh, most of the time uh, uh, what's uh, what's happening on the pitch. And having Mbappe helps a lot. And I don't think that without him we would have scored uh, a goal. So a pretty bleak summary of Friday evening. <laughs> pretty bleak indeed. And things could get a lot bleaker this week um, with the game against Leipzig coming on, on Tuesday. Uh, Fabregas seemed to suggest after the game that that Paris Saint-Germain were, were, had one eye on, on Tuesday and that maybe that was kind of partly to, to blame for their shortcomings in this one. But I think that's almost giving them too much too much of an excuse, too much of an out, no? Because a, a team of that calibre, you know, you, you should be capable of, uh, especially with the squad they have and the experience they have, should be capable of, of, you know, getting through that game on the Friday, holding on to that win without kind of having some kind of mental weight playing on them from the, from the coming game on uh, midweek in the in the Champions League, which is of course a, a must-win game because if they don't win that and Manchester United win their game against Bashak Shahir, it's going to be very very difficult, nigh on impossible for them to qualify. Depending on other results, I mean, how do you see that game panning out, Phil? How do you how do you see things going for PSG against Leipzig? Well, you know, on Saturday morning, you wake up and you say, OK, it's probably going to be uh, tough to, to beat Leipzig. And then on the Saturday evening, you watch, you actually watch Leipzig game at Frankfurt and you say, well, this is not very hard because they really <laughs> didn't play that well. Um, and they don't really have that much going forward. I mean, the, the three players I'm worried about are Sabitzer, uh, Forsberg and uh, Campbell, who are, you know, Real quality player, and of course, there's our very own Enkunku, who scored against us in the in, in the game at uh, at Leipzig. But honestly, going forward, it just needs to be uh, yeah to be focused defensively. But it all depends who we put who we put at the back, and uh, who has uh, who has uh, who has an off day if someone has uh, has an off day. I'm I mean I'm uh, quite confident of uh, a win, but again, a win is not enough. It's almost like a like a, um, uh, a, a knockout, uh, a knockout uh, stage time, because with with all the points uh, that uh, we have to make up for, uh, we basically have to beat Leipzig on aggregate. As in, if we uh, if we beat them three two, they'll they'll probably uh, they'll probably uh, finish in front of us uh, with mm-hmm. with all the wins afterwards. So winning one nil would be would be quite uh, would be good because that would mean we get the we get the aggregate win. But it's all, this is all extremely uh, extremely risky when you have a such a, such a porous defence. I'm I'm confident we'll score at least two goals, but whether we'll uh, we'll concede that's uh, that's another matter entirely. But again, Leipzig strike, uh, strikers are not very good, and uh, we really shouldn't uh, we really shouldn't struggle to to win on aggregate. I'm quite confident of that, though. Confident words, then, from Philippe Bargiel ahead of that one. It is a huge match ahead for Thomas Tuchel and Paris Saint-Germain. A must-win, uh, you know, which is going to have huge ramifications either way for their season. Let's move on now to the, uh, the uh, second match that we're going to cover, and that is Lille versus Lorient, which happened on Sunday night uh, at the Stade pierre Morat, where Lille... Um, uh, were hoping for a, a far different outcome from their 3-2 defeat to other Breton opposition in the previous match day, having lost 3-2 at Brest. 
Uh, Les Dogues were without a host of first-team players, uh, with Jose Font and Burak Yilmaz suspended, uh, Zeki Celik and Renato Sanchez injured, so very much a depleted side. Um, newly promoted Lorient have been struggling uh, after a strong start. Uh, star summer signing Adrian Gerbic experiencing a goal drought, and they were a side looking to get their third win of the season, but they were unable to capitalise as Le Dug, despite their wounds, ran out 4-0 winners. Two goals from man of the moment, Yusuf Yazici, one from Luis Araujo, and finally, after 863 minutes, we can say that Jonathan David has his first Ligue 1 goal. An excellent all-round performance from Lille. Um, Eric, how good were Lille in this match, especially considering who they were missing? Yeah, again, the the Gaultier point that I believe Mo made is is rightly taken. I, I think that if you're missing, let's say, half of your first choice eleven uh, for this this match to to win this comprehensively against again a Lorient side who have definitely come back to earth after a strong strong start. Uh, yeah, it's really impressive, especially when you're getting performances of of the likes of that from Jonathan David, who's been you know, to put it mildly, struggling to find his feet in Liga. And uh, Yazici as well, who just seems to go from strength to strength. And, you know, he was the club's record signing 18 months ago. And, you know, we, I, we didn't get to see much of him last season because of how the season was curtailed uh, vis-a-vis the timing of his injury. But I think we know now that we have a real player, pardon me, on our hands. And he's he's really impressed. Um and, and setting and, and creating assists. I mean, at a rate that exceeds even the the level he had he had played at um, in Turkey. And I think that this really bodes well for for Lille continuing to be, you know, I think comfortably the second best team in the league. I think that we're we're really starting to see the limits of Ren, um, g- given that you know, given their struggles in attack and. Um, Lille have grown into the season. I mean, that's the thing. When the season first started, we were like, ah, past it, is David a bust? I mean, he still needs more than one match to prove himself, does David. But I think that um, clearly um, we know that Christophe Galtier is capable of building a defensively sound team. That's never been in doubt. Uh, if we reference his, his the, you know, his playing over the odds in uh, with Sante and doing so well with them. He knows how to build a team that's solid at the back, but you know he's sort of relied on you know the odd incandescent striker to to get what success he's had. I mean, we we look at Pepe, we look at Ozyman, even going back to his time at Sente. You know, a strong season from Axel Langradel or a strong season from Pierre Mercabomiang. That's what's driven his success. But now it seems that the team have multiple attacking options. I think that this is probably you know the best attack that Christoph Galtier has ever had a chance to, uh, to, 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 to be in charge of. And that's, that's something that he's, I, I think, you know, he's the, the, deserves credit for him. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, if, if Lille and PSG were to square off, you know, right now, I, I think you'd have to make Lille favorites given that you'd have uh, certain players back for this match. Um, I think that it, it's really, it's really an, been an impressive evolution in terms of attacking football uh, on the parts of Galtier. And, and yeah, again, I, I, 
I, again, I, I like what Kovac has done. Um, I think we kind of, perhaps maybe my, my perception of that is that I'm, I'm a little bit biased in that um, <laughs> Kovac is new to the league um, and we sort of just take Galchet being fantastic for granted. Um, but we shouldn't. Um, so, yeah, well done to Lille. Well done to Galtier in managing that raft of absences. Um, you know, if they can get get something from the match on Thursday uh, against Milan, they, I think a draw might be enough to see them go through. Um, a win definitely would. Um, you know, they can make noise in the Europa League, too. That's really exciting. It seems like we've had good good performances, uh, you know, now from France uh more often than not. And that's that's a good thing for the coefficient. If we think about Marseille's run to the final and Leon's run to the semifinal in recent years, um, to have another team that's capable of doing some damage in that competition is always a good thing as well. Did you hear that yeah. rumor about uh, Galtier uh, to Lyon next season, Eric? No, I haven't. Oh. <laughs> well, it's probably nothing, but uh, how would you welcome it or unwelcome it? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think that over the past decade, he's proved himself to be, you know, someone who values the principles of organization, uh, who does well with what he's been given. I mean, this is the thing, too. You know, it's really only the last couple of years at, at Lille that he's had the means to, to work with to work with players who are who are of a, of a high level and to be able to spend in the transfer transfer window, you know, Lille situation. Given the money that they they need to pay to use this type Pierre Morois, it means they've always been sort of handicapped financially. Now again, they did sell Ozyman this summer. Uh, they did sell Gabriel. It's not as if you know there's not still financial considerations at Lille, but it's clear that the caliber of players that, that they're able to bring in and that Luis Campos is working his magic, and that that yeah, I, I think that at a club like Leon, who spend even more money than Lille, I mean, I don't know, you know, this I think the sky's the limit if 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 uh, if Rudy Garcia does go, I mean, this is the thing. Looking at Leon, I mean, you know, the the the, the same ghosts were haunting them last night in terms of a, a little bit of a lack of coherence in attack. And I don't know that Rudy Garcia is the man to sort that out. So I think they need a change come the end of the season, even if they do finish top three. Uh, you know, and if it were, to, it were to take some fair amount of cash to prize... Galtier away from Lille, it, it probably would, but I think it'd be money well spent. I of course you've got, yeah, of course you, you've got you've got the <laughs> you, you've got the uh, the Saint Etienne effect, with uh, most fans would not uh, probably not welcome Galtier with open arm, just like they didn't welcome Garcia with open arm because there's this sort of rivalry they had with Marseille not so long ago. Well, yeah, but, but I mean, I I think that. I think that's just uh, it's just silly. You know, it's not as if a player can't bridge a gap and be successful for multiple teams. I mean, you know, there have been plenty of examples in the recent past of players who've turned out for both sides and been successful for both sides. I mean, Rafa Gomez is probably the most recent example. I mean, you know, you know, never was, you know, wasn't a huge success at, at Leon, but was certainly a more than reliable goal scorer, uh, especially during some very lean years. Um, following how poorly things had gone in terms of the transfers of the likes of Sissoko and Ederson and <clears throat> Gorkov. Um, you know, that, that team was really hamstrung financially, especially with an eye towards opening the stadium. And, you know, Gomis did just enough to keep Leon, uh, Leon's heads above water. So 
you know, and I think he was welcomed by the fans. I, so, you know, I think that the idea of, a, you know, a manager uh, who with a proven track record not being welcomed, just, you know, speaking, speaking with my Leon fan hat on, I think that just seems silly and short-sighted. I mean, it, it too, it's a little too tribalist. I think that given the club's resources, you know, there shouldn't be the level of drift that this team have had in recent years. Uh, I think Champions League semifinal run notwithstanding, uh, there should be, you know, a more consistent and comprehensive mandate on the part of this team to be, yeah, to be consistently where, you know, in the top three, no questions asked, and maybe at a push to, to, to look for the title. But they haven't had a realistic challenge for the title since 14-15. And I think a lot of that is down to, uh, you know, choices in terms of how the club affects their management. You know, whether that be, uh, you know, Juninho, who I'm still not sold on, uh, or... Or uh, or who's on the bench? Yeah, and I I have to I have to agree with with Eric in that I think you know for for Lyon fans surely you know yes okay this guy this guy spent many years at, at Santé but you know if he comes in and is able to 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 take Lyon back to kind of where as as Eric says they should be um, you know I think that he'll 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 be warmly welcomed and accepted because it would be an excellent choice, I think, as a successor for Rudy Garcia, the kind of sensible decision that Rudy Garcia was kind of painted out to be by Jean-Michel Olas, and I'm not entirely sure he he was. Um, and and yeah, but I, you know, I'm sure that's a that's a move that will upset a lot of uh, Saint-Étienne fans for sure. Even if Lyon would be potential beneficiaries from that, should it should it go well? J- just to touch on something we mentioned uh, there. Um, Eric, I think you mentioned that this that this Lille side right now would be um, would arguably be favourites um, absentees aside going into a match against PSG. I mean, they are only two points behind now, and I know you know it's 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 pretty tiresome kind of talking about every 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 time a team gets within a few points of PSG in Ligue 1, it's oh there could be a title race, there could be a title race, you know. But 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 Mo, do you do you think that you know? Uh, be, more so than earlier in the season when we were talking about the likes of Rennes um, and potentially Lyon at, at the start of the campaign. Do, do we think Lille have a chance to actually run Paris Saint-Germain close? Because surely now that result against Brest looks more like a, a blip than, you know, a sign of things to come. Yeah. I mean, it depends on their European commitments. They've still got, you know, a couple of um, games um, to come in that competition before before winter break. Obviously, they're playing Milan at home um, this week. Where obviously a result there can go some way to securing a qualification and focusing on just getting as many points as they can this side of Christmas in in the league. Particularly, for example, there's a big game against Monaco um, next weekend, the weekend after next, rather. Um, mm-hmm. And and then you will see that then perhaps they can look at, you know, not so much challenging for the title, but at least um, being very, very uh, big challenges for that Champions League qualifications for the, the, the second spot. Um, you'd feel that last last season, obviously, had it not been for the COVID interruption, that they were starting to get into steam, that they were perhaps eyeing down Rennes and then Marseille, that, they, you know, they were unfortunate um, to not have that 10 games at the end of the season to um to you know continue to grow and and challenge i i personally think you know marseille and ren may, may not have 
um, either one of the two may not have held on to the Champions League positions, um, you know, last last March. Um, as for the title race, one thing that's very, very good is that most of the clubs are around hovering at or just beneath two points per game, which is, I think, the benchmark if you really want to be challenging for that Champions League position. Um, and it's good to see that we've got six teams um, on or around that level. Uh, and we're about a quarter of the way through. Let's see how the league table settles once we continue to have a couple of rival games where we've got PSG Lyon, Lille Monaco, um, you know, Monaco uh, Marseille as well. Let's see how it settles over the next three to four games. Um, if that remains to be the case, I mean, it's not so much a question about the title race, but maybe we'll be looking at a situation where we've had in so 2017-18 four very, very good teams challenging for um, the big European sports, which can only be a massive benefit to Liga. Yes, yeah, certainly. And and I think we're all excited to see what is, as Mo's pointed out, shaping up to be one of the more exciting Champions League races in uh, in Europe. Um, let's go on to their opponents then briefly, who are obviously in a race for survival, I suppose, rather than anything more than that. Um, Eric, I'll come back to you. The, we, we talked about Lorient's bright start and I've, I've heard you talk on the um, preview show before about kind of the, the various bright sparks they've had at points this season you know players like Johan Wieser um, performing so well um, but but do you think they have enough to stay up because now that the kind of mist and you know the early early season kind of positivity of, the, of that promotion seems to be fading a little bit they're 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 struggling aren't they they are I, I think they'll stay up but I, I think only and I've said this more than once, I think because there are other teams that are a lot worse than them. Uh, they are in 18th, um, but I, we can't look at Strasbourg and, and Dijon. I mean, I, Strasbourg, gosh, <laughs> that results uh, that results for them at the weekend. <laughs> I, I really feel for them. Um, I mean, I, I, Dijon are gone. I, there's no there's no way that they can come back. I, I know that's hyperbole. I know they're only four points off a playoff spot, but they just have shown nothing. Um, and I think that, you know, Santay had seven losses in a row now. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, they yeah. might be equally doomed. Um, yeah, I, I think Lorient have... I think Lorient have what is going to keep them safe in, in, in the, something that... You know, we've seen teams do this in recent seasons. If you have enough in attack, you, you'll be okay. Uh, we think about, you know, say Mess last season uh, with with a good form of Habib Diallo, um, you know, if you, or yeah, and I, 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 and, you know, and Ras have been, been able to keep their heads above water, relatively speaking, next to Full Idea, for example. Mm-hmm. I think that in, in Mothi, Hamel, and and Gerbich, even though Gerbich has struggled, there is enough uh, in terms of strikers. There, um, they've had some injuries too. Uh, Stefan Tiara, for example, has been injured. He's someone who is expected to contribute and has sort of been in and out of the team. Uh, Wiese has been a decent player. I think they just... I think that they need to perhaps settle a little bit more on a on an 11, and I think that they... It's interesting, too, because I feel like... I, I wonder if there's not some level of pressure on the part of, of Lorient to play these Lonies, Gravillon and um, Chaloba. Um, I don't... I'm not terribly impressed by either of them at this point. And I wonder if 
pressure on the part of their parent clubs to play those players a certain amount, uh, to foster a relationship between Lorient and and those teams to perhaps perhaps get more loanees in in the near future future um, isn't sort of a black mark on on the team and isn't sort of limiting their ability to um, be more solid in midfield uh, and and to and to you know develop the players that that, that are on their own books. You know, Enzo Lefay is a player who is really highly talked about prior to the season start and has really been sort of not not entity this season. Uh, I don't think he's been given a chance. So, um, I, I would I, I think we need to hold judgment on L'Oreal. I think that they, I think there's enough there that they can they can get a result. They they can start to put put some results together. But even if they don't improve drastically. You know, I think there's other teams. Nîmes again, one of the weekend surprisingly, but I don't. I, I think I'd be more worried about Nîmes than I would Lorient, even even though Nîmes are higher up the table than Lamerlu at this point. Yeah, and and I think that is a theme. You know, you say that you've kind of talked about it a lot more recently, Eric, about how you know there are just teams who are worse than than other teams at the bottom of the table, and I think that is going to be kind of a recurring theme this season that that there are just teams who kind of maybe don't. Uh, just have quite just about enough uh, in their roster to to make it through, and ultimately there will be teams who are just that much poorer, who are who are going to struggle and who are going to kind of fall um, fall further. Um, and you, you just take a look at you know having Christophe Pelissier as as a coach, who obviously kind of is very used to being in this situation during his time at, at Amiens, and you think that he's the right kind of character to help get this side out. Of, um, over the line, as it were, in terms of survival, so long as he is able, I guess, to get the best out of players like like Gerbic, who you know did start the season so well, and 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 I also agree about the loanies. I think Trevor Chalaba has been poor, and despite my Chelsea bias, I'll admit that. And it would be nice to see to see Enzo Lefebvre be, be given more of a go because he's undoubtedly a, a very talented individual. Um, let's move on to uh, another side who look well a side who look even more doomed and that is Saint-Étienne as Eric mentioned who are now on seven defeats in a row uh, they were so close to getting a result in the Derby du Rhône uh, and ending their losing streak were it not for a last minute penalty uh, miss from uh, from Denis Buanga um, who so that means that Leveras really struggling after their bright start to the season um, they faced Brest. Um, Brest had ended a run of, of five straight defeats themselves to beat Lille last time out with a blistering first half performance, in particular from their fullbacks, Ronel, Pierre Gabriel, and, and Roman Perrault, uh, going 3 0 up against Lille and, and holding on to win 3 2. Uh, this time, Les Pirates went one further and, and scored four um, in the first 14 minutes with, uh, with Mehdi Camara getting one goal in the first half uh, for Saint Etienne. But, Ultimately, it was a match that finished 4-1 to Brest, um, propelling them further up the table and condemning Sante to those seven uh, consecutive defeats, which, by the way, equals their worst ever run in the competition, uh, dating back to November 2008. So really not good there. I'm sure there's some pun to be made about Brest delivering an ass whooping or something like that. But I'm going to stop myself from going there and we'll move on um, to the game itself. Um, five goals in the, in the first half. Phil, what what did you make of the first forty five minutes of, of of football in this one? It was pretty entertaining, though. It was very entertaining. 
Uh, you could say that uh, yeah, it looks it looks very bad for Oliver. It looks very bad for Saint Etienne. Uh, such a great performance uh, at Lyon, uh, very close to get, to snatching a win. And uh, you looked in in the in the attitude and team spirit, and it looked really really good. But uh, one thing uh, that really needs to be said uh, to the new tool, to uh, people who didn't watch the game, is that Brest were really good going forward. They had they had Cardona, they had Honora. And they had uh, two other players I'm um, missing. Uh, I apologize. But um, yeah, uh, going forward, they were, they were very, very good, of course. It was helped by uh, the fact that Kolo play was playing centre-back. He's not a pretty good centre-back. He's, uh, he's not a world-class left-back either, but you know, he's, a, he's a better left-back than, uh, than a centre-back. Um, and on the break, it was, it was honestly, it was, uh, it was very hard to defend against, first of all. But uh, yeah. Uh, Brest had a very good day. Saint Etienne could not uh, could not really stop them. Uh, did everyone uh, see Saint Etienne's goal, Camara's goal? No. Yes. Yeah. I, I think he's offside. I think he's he's. Uh, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's uh, clearly. I think he's clearly offside. But um, the, the thing is, so a free kick is played forward. Uh, a Saint Etienne player touches the ball. It's then touched by um, by the Brest goalkeeper, and then Madi Kamara puts it in the empty net. So maybe because the goalkeeper touched it, uh, it means that uh, that VAR uh, judged that the goal was uh, was good was good to go. That's yeah, maybe, why. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe that is the explanation. I mean, I I, I didn't see. I, I personally didn't see any anything anything wrong with with that goal anything too contentious with that um and certainly not nothing kind of flagged up majorly after after the game with that one and i don't you know i don't think uh i don't think it would have necessarily changed the game either way um well which it is didn't that's the, that's the point yeah. yeah it didn't that's that's the point because because uh dijon D, uh sorry dijon <laughs> brest D, dijon are not <laughs> playing that well uh dijon went uh, two and a half after 23 minutes uh, then uh, there was a seven-minute gap uh, um, until, sorry, uh, Madi Camara pulled one back for Oliver, and then two minutes later, Cardona makes it three, three-one, and then five minutes later, Simonia makes it four-one. And to me, I mean, this this is basically what what I'm saying is that Sassetien didn't play well. They had Budubuzu with back. Um, they still had two two players who weren't uh, who aren't uh, professional footballers yet, so they're they're coming from the uh, from the youth academy. Um, that would that would be uh, Sissoko, as a, who started at, at the left back, didn't have a particularly bad game, you know, uh, and uh, Gorna Duas, who uh, you know was a passenger, just couldn't uh, couldn't do much, but uh, you know with play, players like Zaidu Yusuf on the on the left and and Riyad Boudbouz on on the right, they could do something. Neyunupa, who was so impressive in the derby. Not so impressive uh, uh, at that time, but again, when you when you're playing, uh, if you're playing on your own against uh, against two quality um, season league and midfielders that are Arisbel Kibla and Polan, it's always going to be difficult. And uh, yeah, it's it was uh, it was it was such a it, you 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 really felt sorry for them really because there was so much promise after that Lyon performance. And then you watch that first half and said, "Well, this is yeah, this is turning out to be one very, very, very complicated season." And there were a few tweets saying, "Well, is Priel going? Uh, Priel has to get the sack now because it's seven, seven defeats in a row." And there, there is, I mean, there is talk of Saint Etienne going back down. I mean, there is a, a, 
you know, pe- people people will will make the uh, the comparison of Saint Etienne going back down uh, in Ligue 2 just like just like they did uh, a while back, and those were very very bleak times. So, yeah, it could uh, it could it could it could be very uh, a very bad uh, situation for them financially, especially because they're struggling financially with uh, media post money with Ligue 1's money. I doubt that they'll they'll be able to uh, to fill in a budget with the uh, uh, league due revenues, but that's me. And you know, it's it's probably a bit premature, but you know, just wanted to I, say. I, I think it is, Philip. I I think you know, that's a that's a, not an incorrect assessment what you said there. So I, I yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I don't see where help is is coming from, from where help could be coming just because of the resources of the club. I mean, there's not, you know, this idea of degradation. You know, getting rid of higher salary players. I mean, it's not as if Jan Avila was a bad player. He's made too much money. Mm. Very true. I mean, they do. Mm. They do have. They do have so many problems. And uh, you know, would would getting rid of Puel be be a potential solution? You know, at least to kind of just change the the, the swing of momentum, if you like. <laughs> maybe a change. Yeah, Phil, <laughs> you were calling for this a few weeks ago. Bring back Stefan Ruffier. Maybe that's. Maybe he's what he's the missing piece to get them out of this rut. I I'm not convinced. I think as Eric says, the the problems run deeper, don't they? And and but but yeah, it'd be interesting to get to to, to get your thoughts. I mean I mean Mo, for example, do do you think that 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 it would be a right move now to to sack Claude Puel and try and try and change things up? I don't really know what what benefit would get would you know would bring. Um, you know, Claude Puel has shown somewhat briefly in his in his time in charge where they've had periods of you know relative stability where they've simply you know got their finger around and actually gone on a run of a couple of games you saw at the beginning of the season. You know, their fantastic start, you know, winning three games in a row towards the end of the last campaign where, you know, having some of this content to actually play really admirably in the Coupe de France final. Um, just before the last season ended as well, having been humiliated last winter, uh, just before the lockdown, they were also starting to get back into grips. Um, I don't know what, what they would achieve. You know, Saint-Étienne are in a bit of purgatory at the moment where they've gone from your solid fifth, sixth you know, place team competing with the likes of Nice and Rennes uh, to a team that actually doesn't know what he wants to do. Someone that, Someone that, you know, is focusing on on low budget low cost moves and at the end of the day it's this um sort of state of football and purgatory that's going to cost them their their league on states that they're if they're not careful they've got you know the the situation with Rufier and Mulan hasn't helped um the fact that they've been unable to integrate some of the older players um into performing the, the way that they are expected to like Kazri like Amuma um is you know it's it's a struggle, um, but I get the feeling that the the two guys in charge, Romaya and the other Kayatso, I think his name is, um, they're they're just being caught in a shifting football landscape, but they haven't got the answers. You know, there needs to be radical changes in the end. Yeah, they might get rid of Claude Puel, but who's to say Frederick Antonetti or someone else won't come in, and it'll be the same again in a year's time. So. Obviously, seven games. Obviously, I know he's at Metzler now, but you know, like someone, someone of that ilk. Um, sure. There are. Um, What's Roland Corby doing? That's what I was well, going to exactly, say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Do you know the ones that always get the same jobs over and over again? Yeah, the um, Seven games is obviously very, very poor. But I just don't see, you know, I don't see that they're dynamic enough to actually, you know, be smart um, at a point, a manager with a different, um, you know, outlook that can solve their problems. Um, you know, look at I look at the next five games, and I can't see that they won any of them, even even Dijon, you know. Um, but it is what it is, I suppose. And I think they're just going to be languishing until they really sort of start pulling, um, you know, pulling punches and really, you know, going ahead and securing points. They're playing Lille on Sunday. Yeah, well. I mean, that's bad. I mean, that's, yeah. Could be, could be obvious. Game to turn things around, though. You know? Could be. The odds must be pretty high on that one. Yeah, I think if you're a, if you're a, uh, if you're into betting, you probably wouldn't be backing Sante on that one. Um, but certainly, you know, it is it is crisis time, and we'll have to wait and see. Because even you know, I know Eric earlier on, you were mentioning kind of Strasbourg, for example, and their struggles, and obviously they did. You know, they were beaten tantalisingly this past weekend, four three. But they, I just look at them and think, you know, they do have enough quality, and I do believe in Thierry Lore as a coach that he's kind of capable to get them out of that. Whereas Sante just look like they're in 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 absolute free fall, and I, I can't see, I, I can't see anything 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 good coming anytime soon for them. So, yeah, I yeah. don't think Strasbourg has a particularly bad bad side. I mean, the defending is not great, but I think there are some, some most most players can can create something going going forward. I mean, to be honest, Sante can do it as well. I mean, it's it is quite baffling how they went from Lyon's performance to Brest's performance. Um, not not uh, I mean it's two two worlds apart really and uh, I mean is it was it just Aushish who was doing all the work at Lyon I, I just don't think so I mean it was a unit and that unit at uh, at Brest just disappeared so I don't know maybe they'll be up for it for the for the game against Lille maybe that it's that, that type of case and maybe it's a case of uh, Puel having lost a dressing room maybe or maybe it's a case of of being back from the international break. I, I don't know, but you know, I mean that uh, that performance against Lyon was uh, was you know hope, and now it's just uh, <laughs> it's gone now. But I mean, maybe it can come back. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, and well, <laughs> that remains to be seen. It remains to be seen, certainly, because of all of those defeats, the derby seems the only one that they were really able to lift themselves up for, and you know that I think it's pretty obvious why that was. So fascinating to watch all of this unfold let's just have a quick look at the champions league action coming up for the other two french clubs of course marseille and Rennes. marseille still winless in their group um are at home against porto which you've got to say is a game that they would have been looking to win before this torrid run that they're now on um mo that that surely has to be the aim now getting a getting a, a win here and 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 seeking to qualify for the Europa League because automatic promotion is uh, automatic promotion. Sorry, there you go. That says it all. Qualification to the the knockout rounds is is gone. Well, not gone quite yet. <laughs> um, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's you know obviously been devil's advocate here. Um, AVB has come out and said uh, very briefly. He said, you know, we we are going to have to aim to get points in Europe. You know, try and qualify for the Europa League and cement top three. So, you know, it will have to be, yeah, we'll have to start 
tomorrow, uh, Wednesday rather, beating Porto somewhat, you know, convincingly, and then focusing on getting back into proper league action. I think the big game for for Marseille in terms of Europa would be drawing tomorrow, um, or not even drawing tomorrow. I mean, it would have to be really getting a result against Olympiacos um, and hoping that Man City does the job as well. I think there's still some opportunity to get into Europe. They're only three points behind the Olympiacos with a horrendous goal difference. But I think the majority of Marseille fans wouldn't mind, you know, the usual Champions League elimination, um, given that this is the first season back. Um, but Marseille need to avoid that, you know, the thing that's hanging over them, which Steve Mondanda has, has talked about, which is that Champions League record. Lose on Wednesday, it'll be the outright record of the most consecutive Champions League defeats. And that's something that the club needs to avoid at all costs. They've had 20 days off um, come come Wednesday's game um, and they need to show another face. So fingers crossed for that. <laughs> fingers crossed. I mean, you know, we hope the best for, at, le- at least just for your sake, Mo, in this one. And, and, and I think they can do it, especially given that they haven't had a match uh, this weekend. You think that will benefit them compared to other teams in Europe with this, uh, given this hectic schedule. Let's just have a quick look then at, at, at Rennes, who are, of course, at home to Chelsea. Um, that match, uh, getting something out of that match, I think will be a tall order as the Blues, almost called them Les Bleus, have conceded just one goal in their last seven matches, which is largely down, of course, to the impact of Ligue 1 exports, Edouard Mendy and Thiago Silva. Uh, Rennes, then bottom of their group, level on points with Krasnodar. Uh, you'd think qualification to the next round is uh, impossible now, but Europa League still very much on the cards. Um, though, of course, Ren's form has kind of faltered more recently. That being said, they can count on players who they've missed in previous rounds, notably, of course, Kamavinga, who's now back for them. Phil, how do you see this match panning out? I think we've said on this podcast, um, I think Eric made a good point, um, a couple of weeks back, saying that that Ren were were capable of, um, of of hurting Chelsea, and they kind of showed glimpses of that, I guess, in the match against Stamford Bridge, which we were sort of robbed of by by the refereeing decisions um, and the, everything that happened with with um, with Dalbert. Um, yeah, do you think? Do you think? Um, yeah, how do you see this match panning out, Phil? I think it's going to be a very rough period for for Ren. Uh, what the game showed on on Friday was that uh, the players were. Uh, maybe not uh, up for it on um, in terms of uh, ideas, and that um, I reckon that being being away from home suits them uh, more in the Champions League. Uh, being at home is basically okay. You have to give everything uh, to to win to, to win because you're at home. Be it against Krasnodar or against uh, or against Chelsea or against someone else, and uh, it's probably not what they're. Uh, <laughs> Uh, probably not their strong suit because they're, they're always thinking about uh, the league game afterwards and saying, well, if we do that, maybe we're going uh, going to be uh, going to be uh, going to be a bit tired afterwards for the for the league game. It's going to be it's going to be tough. And you know, it proved again. It's uh, it's uh, it's a mentality. And uh, since then, the uh, the defeats have been have been um, yeah. Um, it's not been going too well at home against uh, against Angers. Or Bordeaux. I mean, a great goal by by Benaf on on the Friday, but I just don't. I just don't. I just don't see them. Sorry. I said no. Of course, of course. Yeah. 
Um, I just don't think that it suits them to, to play at home uh, just right now. And um, I fear a comfortable Chelsea win, which, uh, you would, uh, which you would be very unhappy with, Jake, of course. Very, very. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think certainly what, what uh, you mentioned their kind of recent misfortunes, if you like, at home. And you've got to think in a stadium like Roazon Park, which would be such an intimidating atmosphere on a European night. We saw that against Arsenal and, and Real Betis in their Europa League run a couple of seasons back. But you think that would be kind of how they would... Um, Perhaps how they would kind of draw themselves on a level with Chelsea and make it a real battle, but you, but you, you've got to think that based on their kind of um, their, their their matches in Ligue 1 at home without fans, and and of course this applies to everyone, but certainly in a stadium like that where the atmosphere role that it will it will suit the visiting side down to a T, and certainly a team like Chelsea who are kind of um, have the bit between their teeth at the moment in terms of their form and. And yes, obviously, you know, I wish the Ligue 1 teams well, but I am, of course, hoping for a, a Chelsea win midweek. Um, let's end on that hugely positive note then there. Um, so that will be it from us. Uh, thanks very much for joining me tonight, guys. As always, make sure you're following us at GFFN on Twitter for all the latest news from around the world of French football. And please check out our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. I'm Jake Smales, and I've been joined by Philippe Bargiel, Mohamed Ali, and Eric Devin. Stay safe, enjoy the football, and have a great week.